Peace and love. This is Brother Fahim, and you are now tuned in to the Leave of Logic podcast. You know the vibes. Peace, 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 y'all. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. And I know it's uh it's been a minute since I've been up in it, but uh as usual, as normal, I'm always trying to win it. And so much has gone down. Ultra magnetic, light speed, these are the paces that life is moving at. And I'm just trying to grab a hold to the wheel. So here I am, here I am back again. I have a big announcement that I'm gonna make at the end of the podcast. Some great, great news. Some things that I'm changing up, some things that I'm doing. So stay tuned, y'all. Listen to the end. And uh, yeah, man, I appreciate y'all coming in. For for those of you who don't know me, for those of you who have never listened to my podcast, if this is your first time, thank you so much and welcome. What I do here on the Leave of Logic podcast is I take current events and I try to take the ones I know are sensational are triggering whether it's positive or negative and i analyze them and i break them down so that you are you guys that the listener can gain more knowledge wisdom and understanding that makes sense which i know it does but yeah so relax your mind let your conscience be free and uh chill out to the sounds of brother fahim <laughs> man so much drama in the world so much going on so much going on you know one thing i want to say again with bringing these controversial and sensational topics up. You know, you always try to find the silver lining. You always try to find the lesson in every, any and everything that you're doing. If you can do that, it'll satisfy you being a lifelong learner. It'll satisfy your uh, quench to learn something. I try to learn something new every day. And, you know, just keeping up with, with certain things. Now, a lot of us do not really, you know, worry about celebrities regardless of the scale i'm not a person that does i see things when i when i'm on google and i think oh okay whatever or oh, okay hmm. or oh, okay that's interesting but i'm always the hair on the back of my neck always stands out when it's something that that um pertains to to african-american people to black people really in the diaspora and so I always try to stay on the lookout. And one thing I tell people is, you know, when things happen, when adversity happens, when these big news flashes or these, you know, breaking news, you know, when they come out, I'm not necessarily moved by whatever the news is. I always try to stay tuned in and tapped in to the response and the voice of the people. That's really what I pay attention to. I try to, you know, tap into the climate of people's emotional sentiment. Where are we at emotionally? How How is our understanding of a topic? How are we thinking collectively, you know, in mass? And the big thing that's been going on recently is the Deion Sanders and the Jackson State uh, debacle. You know, he, he, for those of y'all who don't know, and I didn't realize this, so uh, Neon Deion Sanders, prime time three years ago, which I did not know. I didn't realize he had been at Jackson State University for three years. So three years ago, he took a, he took the coaching, uh, head coaching job at Jackson State University. And he, in an interview, you know, he said after the George Floyd killing the murder of George Floyd, you know, he felt like I was calling him to Jackson State. And, you know, he wanted to spearhead this you know, this HBCU football team. So he could, you know, bring HBCU 
um, sports and really relevance back into the spotlight, back into the limelight. At least that's how it was interpreted. Let me say that. So just recently, it came to the light. It was breaking news that he decided to take his talents and his coaching staff, which I think is amazing, and his some of his players to Colorado. Okay. Here comes the drama. People were pouring in their dissatisfaction. And, you know, what I saw was, and I talked about this on Instagram, but I figured I would make this a podcast because it's something that was on my mind, right? Mainly the topics that I saw were a savior, a sellout. You know, this is what people had to say about Deion Sanders. Now, for those of you guys who know anything about history, you know, HBCUs, when you look at why they were created, they were created by black ministers and white philanthropists, white donors donors right because they wanted to educate in some instances in a lot of instances they wanted to educate the mulatto children mulatto meaning the chap the children of slave women and you know slave master men right and so they they figure and this is something that's always happened there's always uh, a slave class and then there's always a bourgeoisie i won't say a bourgeoisie I'll say a class above them right there's a class today i, I think you would call them the boule the boule class right so there, there was but there was always historically there was always you know that class of uh of black people typically they might have been fair-skinned they might have been you know related directly to whoever you know was in power and they got certain privileges for that if you think i'm kidding ask your grandparents and great-grandparents about fish university in nashville my mother told me back in the day, when you applied to Fisk, you had to send a photo of yourself. And if your photo, what they did was they they measured your photo to a brown paper bag. They call it the brown paper bag test. If your skin tone was darker than the brown paper bag, you automatically got denied entry. So there's always been this class of black people who attain a certain status, not because of you know anything uh, mental, uh, but just because of, you know, uh, genetics right so when you look at how these black colleges formed up you know that was a lot of their focus and then also you know there there are no really owners there are people who there are board members who run these black colleges and a lot of these board members you have to look them up who are these board members what do they look like what i know is a lot of afro a lot of hbcus are becoming more and more diverse now, some of you say, well, that's good. Well, when you go back, um, when you go back, even even with me saying about, you know, how it was created, it was still not created for the, you know, every ethnic group. That wasn't until after the 1960s, after the civil rights movement, when that passed and all other groups were allowed to utilize that. That's when we start seeing this influx and in other groups becoming the bombard and attend the schools, attend these HBCU schools, right? These universities. But I say, I like to say that these schools, you know, when I think of HBCUs, they've been in a little bit of trouble prior to Dion, having nothing to do with Dion. HBCUs, again, when they were, you know, when it was segregation was the order of the day, then, you know, hey, we, uh, we were much more likely to go to HBCUs, which was awesome, which was amazing, which was preferable, right? <laughs> but as soon as the civil rights movement happened 
and we were able to quote unquote integrate. That's when we kind of left. That's when we kind of left that stuff behind. You know, we, 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 we began to go, we gave up our educational institutions, we gave up our you know, ownership, we gave up land, all just to be integrated, all just to go along and get along. So I say that to say HBCUs were in rough shape prior to Deion Sanders even stepping foot at Jackson State University. So, you know, he um, he comes there, he goes there, he does his thing and he leaves. And now people are, are upset. But going back to what I said, it was on my heart to, uh, to speak about this just because man what I'm seeing is, is mass confusion so I want to name this Deion Sanders savior or sellout to the HBCU community now as usual I have a couple of pieces of literature that I want to break down for you guys that I want you guys to, to hear and you guys can y'all can go and look it up you know nothing I'm saying is anything I've derived it's just things that I've taken note of things that I've read so this first article is on essence right it's called here's what you need to know about the plight of hbcus and it's getting worse you know and it says and uh, that was in bold letters but in small letters it says with both application and graduation rates on the decline the state of hbcus is tragically uncertain um you know it just talks about HBCU, uh, historically black college universities, you know how they're in disarray and the graduation rates on the decline and the funds within the institution are dismal. Let me say something about that. You know, whenever we think of, whenever I think of HBCUs, I always think of low endowments, underfunding, and, you know, uh, equipment and facilities that are, you know, they almost, it's almost like a Cuba situation, you know, it, it froze, you know, there hasn't been a whole bunch of upgrades to the collective, not the ones who might get, you know, some donorship, you know, from large donors or from famous donors, but I'm, I'm speaking of the mass. When you travel and you look at the mass of HBCUs, typically, you know, um, from what I've seen, you know, uh, in impoverished communities and communities that used to be thriving, right? But now they are they in the most impoverished communities. The facilities are not as modern or up to date. They're not state of the art, and you know it 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 it, uh, it can be it can be traced back to a lot of things. But endowments is what I'm speaking of, you know, and that's totally on us. You know, when you read that HBCUs are produce forty percent of all black lawyers. They produce 80% of all black judges. You know, if they produce all of these high earning professions, why are we not giving back? Why are we not spending our money? Why are we not patronizing? What's going on with that? I mean, you don't, and, and, the, and the secret is you guys, you don't have to go to HBCU for your undergrad or even your grad to give back. Look at Robert, what was my man's name? Was it Robert Smith? Robert, I forget his name. I want to say it was Robert Smith. Let me look it up so I can give y'all the accurate information. But the cat I'm talking about is the one who gave all that money to Morehouse. It's Robert Smith. Yeah, he gave all that money to Morehouse College. He's not an HBCU graduate. He didn't go to HBCU. You know, but he he saw a need, man. He saw his people needed money. I say that to say this. You don't have to, you know, go the traditional route 
with the community to help out the community, right? But nonetheless, those endowments mean a whole bunch. And we need to begin, you know, seriously giving, looking to give and to uh, invest if we are to, you know, keep these black colleges um, standing tall. But nonetheless, back to this article, it says in the article for the Newsweek entitled Black Colleges Matter, author Alex, uh, Alexander Nazar Nazarian explores the plight of historically uh, uh, institutions and why it's so important that we reverse the trend. And that there are six things you need to know about what is happening to our HBCUs. Now, this was written in October 27th of 2022. But this is what she said. She said graduation rates at HBCUs are on the decline. Last year, which would have been 2019, the average graduation rate of a four-year HBCU hovered around 59%, though higher than that national average for black students at non-HBCUs. No HBCU saw graduation rates above 70%. Spelman was the highest at 69%, followed by Howard with 65%. Comparatively, Harvard Amherst College, Swarthmore, Yale, and Princeton all saw graduate rates topping 90%. More so half of the nation's HBCUs had rates below 34%. Wow. So the more prominent, the more uh, famous and recognizable HBCUs they had, you know, they were at 59%, you know. But half of the HBCUs had 34%. That's a problem. That's a real issue. Um, the next thing she said, fewer students are choosing to attend HBCUs in the days of Jim Crow Black students typically only had one choice when seeking higher education, an HBCU. Even in the decades following the civil rights movement, 80% of African-Americans were opting to attend one. However, those numbers have fallen drastically since the 1980s. HBCU saw a spike after a different world worked a fictional HBCU in those storyline. Nowadays, only 9% of black students are choosing to attend an HBCU. You know, I don't blame the students and I don't blame the families. I don't blame the parents. Uh, I, I blame the collective, right? I blame the collective of our community. We have to do a little bit better by way of giving back. We are the people. We are one of the people. Um, we give 100% of our resources to another group. And then we wonder why we're in the situation that we, we refuse to do for self. So, yeah. I can't blame these, these these students. Why would I go to an underfunded, you know, understaffed, um, non-modernized place when I have the brain and GPA to go to a PWI and potentially give back in another way? Make it make sense, y'all. Fundraising is a major problem for HBCUs. I'm gonna say that again. Fundraising is a major problem for HBCUs. As Nazarene points out, the declining number of students has had a detrimental effect on the university's funds. Studies found HBCU alums are less likely to donate to their alma mater, though in many cases the problem goes deeper than personal donations. <clears throat> HBCUs only receive a percentage of government money compared to non-HBCUs, and Congress has drastically reduced the length of fail grants, something that many HBCU students rely on, statistics show. Brown University receives $3.2 billion in government funding, less than any other Ivy League college. By comparison, Howard, the richest of the HBCUs, receives a minimum $586.1 million. 
the lack of funding forcing the university to cut costs, eliminate programs and sell valuable resources, sadly making the institutions less attractive to incoming students. So it's a it's not only it's not only black families, uh, the black community not investing in our in our colleges. It's also some institutionalized things going on as well. Per this article. Um, wow, 3.2 billion in government funding, less than any other Ivy League. By comparison, how would the richest of the HBCUs received a minimum five 586.1 million? 5.2 billion. That's a whole bunch of bread. Whew. The majority of HBCUs are endangered. In this new book, where everybody looks like me at the crossroads of America's black colleges and culture, journalist and HBCU. HBCU professor Ron Stachio predicts that the number of HB, of the nation's HBCUs, excuse me, will fall from 104, the current number, to only 35. HBCUs across the country are feeling the effects. St. Paul College in Virginia was forced to close its doors in 2013, and Morris Brown in Atlanta, which lost its accreditation 13 years ago, only had 35 students enrolled last year. Wow. University presidents have come under fire for misusing funds leading to a decrease in credit ratings. I'm going to read that one more time. University presidents have come under fire for misusing funds, leading to a decrease in credit ratings. I remember, and I, and I spoke about this before, I remember back at Howard a few years ago. Now, Howard is considered the most prestige, the, the Princeton of the HBCUs, the Yale of the HBCUs, right? I can remember... They had a kid over there who was on staff. He was a work-study student. He was stealing all these kids' money. And not only was he stealing their money, he was arrogant and flashy with it. This cat was riding around, allegedly now, he was riding around in a Range Rover. He was wearing only the red bottoms. He was wearing, you know, gold and diamond encrusted Jordans. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, he was just, man, it was extra. It was very extra, and it was very suspect for a student worker but you know again why is this kid allowed we need to why 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 aren't there more tightened and more stringent uh, procedures and policies put in place when it comes to our economic and our financial structures at these hbcus i mean it's crazy and it, and it goes on and more. Like you say, Morris Brown, like the article said, Morris Brown lost his accreditation a, a, a while back. I remember that. And that was all due, that was due to the president's misdealings again. That was something that the president, you know, uh, took issue with. The school I went to was not a HBCU. It was a, a PBI, predominantly black institution. And we had issues with our president. We had issues with our president, and it was disgusting. My whole tenure there, they were always protesting the president. They were always complaining about the president. There was never rest. There was never peace. It was always this idea, and it was proven on a few accounts that the president did not do as, as he was supposed to do, and the students suffered. That was always my, my thought process, like, damn, do they realize that the students are going to suffer? They're going to take the school off the south side, you know? And then the the, uh, the the white colleges want to integrate in, right? But th they understand that the state is not going to pay for a black and white college that do the same thing or offer the same education, right? So, man, but that's that's crazy, though, that 
university presidents have kind of come under fire for misusing funds leading to a decent a decrease in credit ratings y'all remember that because i'm gonna you know we're gonna get back into that when we when we get to dion so experts believe this is another this is another bullet that she's talking about experts believe our post-racial society is to blame for hbcu's downfall the article points out that many americans tend to think that we're living in a post-racial society when black high school students can choose between an hbcu that might be struggling and an ivy league institution Nazarian notes that many will choose the latter. Additionally, with African Americans like President Obama, Loretta Lynch, Shonda Rhimes, and Eric Holder, none of whom attended HBCUs in power, younger generations don't feel a pressing need for the schools. Listen, these kids are real and they want a real life. Like I heard Mr. Farrakhan say, you know, you can't offer these kids a fake and fantasy God. This is a real, these are real children with real problems and they want a real result. It's the same in education. Listen, man, you can't sell me this bag of beans and tell me that it's gonna produce gold, but I'm looking out and I'm looking at the struggle that these black colleges are going through. I'm going on these visits and I'm seeing how the, the facilities ain't up to par. I'm seeing how, you know, uh, people could be complaining about their financial aid. I remember Clark Atlanta had a few years ago, Clark Atlanta had this huge issue with, I think it was like hundreds of kids, man. They had school starting, man, and they had nowhere to live. Go look that up. They had nowhere to live. And so they had to do something about that. These are things that turn people off, man. Black people. No one wants to, no one wants to send their child to that. No one wants to struggle like that. Especially, you know, you're not putting anything out. You're not producing anything. What, what can, I mean, it's, it's 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 a piece of work it's, it's 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 something but yeah those young people you know they're not silly in that the ones that have you know have researched and are looking who want to make college college is hard enough you know at the best place so why would i want to add all these other factors and variables <laughs> why would i want to do that you know the next one, the next point is HBCUs still produce some of the nation's top black professionals. Despite the, the bleak outlook and low graduation rates, HBCUs still graduate some of the country's leading black professionals. 70% of America's black doctors have a degree from an HBCU. 35% of black lawyers, 50% of black engineers and teachers solidifying a dire need to save these historic institutions. I think that's it's, that's wonderful. That last one is wonderful. I think that, however, uh, I was talking to one of my brothers uh, on Saturday, one of my good brothers, King Lowe's, and he was telling me how when he was looking at black colleges, every black college he looked at, they didn't have a, a higher degree, I mean like a graduate degree in economics. And the importance or the relevance of that, he explained, was that you know, economics is how you scale business, right? So when you, they have business courses, right? Uh, and they have intro to economics, but when you're talking about scaling and making it large, taking it from mom to pop to big box, you need to know a little bit of something about economics and black colleges don't offer that. So why am I mentioning that? I'm mentioning that because that is a, a taint because yeah, you know, you have your profession which feeds to your business. 
you know, when you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's a chapter in there. He, he was talking about Ray Kroc and Ray Kroc was talking to college students and he asked them, what's my profession? No, what's my business? And, you know, they were kind of like, this is a trick question. And he was like, what's my business? And somebody was like, you slang hamburgers. <laughs> Come on, bro. You're going to throw fries at everybody. He was like, no, nah, that's not my business. That's my profession. I'm a salesman. That's my profession. My business is real estate. And I scaled the real estate. Listen, we need to have our institutions need to make us totally, totally competitive and also economically sound. You know, we need to be offering those courses that will get us into the highest levels of entrepreneurship. And, you know, right now it doesn't do that. So I just wanted to read that article to let you guys know, to kind of point out a couple of the issues that people do not consider when they talk about, you know, anybody, prime, whoever coming to, you know, the HBCU circuit and helping out. You know, they don't they don't consider these things. They don't they don't think about these things in 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 depth. Now, Jamel Hill. Um, Jamel Hill wrote an article for the Atlantic. <laughs> she wrote an article for the Atlantic. I'm not a huge Jamel Hill fan. Because uh, she she has been one of the biggest proponents of, uh, you know, the toxic black feminism. When you go back and listen to Jamel Hill, some of the statements that she's made about black men, it's, come on, dude, it's disgusting. And then they, you know, she was, formerly she was on ESPN. She had a, she had a show on there and she just kept getting in trouble. She kept making statements and they finally got rid of her. But, you know, again, I was like, wow, you kind of go hard, sister. But nonetheless, she she wrote an, uh, an article um, called it's, it's uh, in the Atlantic, and it's called Deion Sanders' Disappointing Exit. And you know, she kind of rounded, you know, she kind of did the did the uh, the recap of what uh, of what happened, you know. But she she said a couple of things that I thought were key and pivotal uh, pivotal that I didn't know. Um, number one, she said that Dion. He's going to be making $29.5 million over five years. That's the most lucrative contract given to any football coach in that school's history. And a huge bump up from Sanders' current four-year $1.4 million contract. So that's how much he was making. Um, you know, at uh, JSU. So let's see. What else did I want to That's all. Um, three seasons at JSU. You know, and uh, people were super critical and super disappointed, right? But when you think about this, you know, Jackson State, he was 27 and 5. That was their record while he was there, right? 27 and 5, including guiding the school to an undefeated season this year for the first time in school history. He won back to whack Southwestern Athletic Conference or SWAC championships he was coach of the year he had coach of the year awards brought the school unprecedented national exposure and made the tigers a destination for some of the top high school recruits in the country that's what Dion did that's what he offered that's the value that he brought you know it's important when you think about any position that you take in life or that you set or that you find yourself in in life you know you should ask yourself what is the intrinsic value that i bring what is it? What is it that I'm offering? How am I advancing? Again, like I said about kids choosing these schools, 
you know, they want results. If I'm an athlete, if I'm a scholar, if I'm an artist, I'm looking to go somewhere where I can visibly see and I can, uh, you know, I can see something tangible that can be touched. Right. If I'm a, if I'm looking to go to law school, I need to look at y'all's law department and see how many lawyers actually become how many students trans uh, are trans. Uh, how many students that you guys graduate? How many of them, how many of them, you know, go on to, to get in that career? How does this degree transfer into the real life? And I have to see the students that you have graduated to do that. If I'm an artist, if I want to be an actor, I'm not going to a community college. Not, I'm not going to, I might go there to begin with, right? It's nothing wrong with that. Let me say that, you know, disclaimer, there's nothing wrong with going to the community college. I went to community college. But I'm saying if, if I'm trying to make it big and I'm trying to, you know, rise, I'm going to go somewhere where I know they have a tradition of actors being great, qualified and good quality actors. If I'm trying to act, I might want to go to Juilliard. I might want to go to New York University. You know what I'm saying? I might want to go to these places that have a historical track record of letting, you know, of, of putting out these, um, these, these, uh, these these actors and and they put people out in the world to do exactly what I want to do. So, you know, Dion produced a lot of results. He add a lot of value. And this is what I thought was absolutely wonderful that she writes. Dion she writes, Sanders never misled anyone about his interest in moving on to a bigger and better resource program. When Sanders was asked by was asked during a recent 60 Minutes interview if he would consider coaching offers from a major conference schools. Sanders said, I'm not going to, I'm going to have to entertain it straight up. I'd be a fool not to. So right there, Dion is letting us know and he's letting the world know, like, look, if a, a good deal come along, I'm going to entertain it. You know, right there. Look, I'm gonna entertain that as he should have, man. He was being honest. He was being honest about the whole thing, right there, right then and there. So this whole he came in and you know he he talked all this uh, talk about his calling to raise it. You know, um, yeah, that that <laughs> I guess it's up for your interpretation, right? But uh, Sanders seemed to. Uh, uh, Ms. Hill, Jamila Hill goes on to say, Sanders wants him to understand that the Jackson State program has a special mission. Um, he, he appeared on Good Morning America and told host Michael Strahan, one of about three dozen HBCU players in the NFL Hall of Fame, that God led me to Jackson State. And I think that's the that was the issue right there. That was the statement right there that people said, man, he was talking about it was he was God led and the standard third. So I mean, again, that's that's relative and that's subjective. It's, it's, it's all in how you perceive that that statement. Yeah, one could deduce, okay, I'm going there because you know it's my calling to raise the HBCUs. It, it could also have been, you know, God telling him to go out and help someone that was in need or help a group of people that was in need that need to be raised from the dead—not the physical death, but the mental, psychological, and emotional. And this, in this instance uh, uh, athletic death you know so 
Um, he, and he said, I don't know if you know, but we're family now, you know, at the Jackson State. So, you know, um, you know, he was, uh, it goes on to say, Sanders' tenure, the athletic department generated an estimated $185 million in advertising value and exposure for Jackson State. National media swarmed to cover the newest sensation in college football, including ESPN's wildly popular show, College Game Day, which made its first ever visit to Jackson for the first game against Southern University in October. Man, he absolutely, you know, brought value. But listen, uh, for Jack, she said, for Jackson State fans who feel abandoned, it doesn't help the standard opted for a Colorado program that finished 1-11 last season and hasn't won more than five games in the season since 2016. Naturally, coaching jobs open up the most frequently in the program that aren't in good shape. Um, so yeah, she's saying that he went to, you know, a college program that was pretty much, that had pretty much been decimated, it was pretty much, you know, ostracized, you know, maybe not ostracized, but absolutely, they weren't in the winner's circle, that's for sure. Um, but that's what he did with Jackson State, though, right? He took a school or a college. He's taking a college and building it up from scratch. You know, but she says, the question of what successful black individuals owe the broader black community is a complex one. Gary Chambers Jr., a civil rights activist who, success, who unsuccessfully saw the U.S. Senate seat in Louisiana this year, retweeted this about Senate situation. At some point, we as black people have to admit that black flight impacts black institutions and communities just as much as white flight and their gentrification. Truth is being black is so damn complex in America that having these conversations in public is a challenge within itself. Um, yeah, you know, black flight does. Absolutely. It, it, it affects us. It affects us. But I guess if, if you're looking at it like it's black flight, but Dion had done told you already, look, if a, a better offer come along, yeah, I'm going to entertain it. And nobody's, you know, we don't have to stay there. No one has to. No one says, you know, when you when you live in the hood, right? If you live in the hood, no one says you have to stay there when you get to be successful. You don't have to. It's 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 desirable and it's the most optimal. It's preferable. Let me say that it's preferred that you do live around uh, other black people that are like minded. But there's nothing that says you want to stay in and struggle just because you're trying to stay in, in the black community. That's crazy. That's crazy. Not to live. Uh-uh. No. Nah. You need to live in a community amongst people who think like you. And of, yeah, it's, it's best to live in a community that people that look like you. That's optimal. But I mean, what do you do when people look like you, but they don't think like you? And you become prey. You become food. Look at Nipsey Hussle. Look at Jam Master Jay. You know, when you read, I read 50s, Hustle Smarter, and he said, man, yeah, I left the hood. Yeah, I left the, the, the community because money not only changes you, it changes people. They want, the, you know, you, you are seen as food. They want you to stay in struggle with them. And when you rise above them, they look at you like, man, what's going on with this dude? Now I'm, a, I'm trying to sabotage you. I'm going to sabotage your success. Soon as, you know, oftentimes we have to get out that crap mentality, you know, hey, we want to help people. You know, it's not like Dion came and and extracted and then just left. No, Dion came and gave. He impacted. He didn't extract. He gave, man. He gave a whole lot more value than what he was being paid. So you can't call that, you know, a, 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 
I mean, you could call it what you want, but you know, it's it's not as though he came and used, you know, he used some some uh, some school to get what he wanted because that's that's the narrative that's being painted in a lot of these circles, right? The people who are detractors of Dion, they're trying to make it as though Dion used Jackson State to get to college, to get to Colorado. Um, you know, I did a I did a a uh, an interview, well, not an interview. I was talking on Instagram with this brother, and his whole thing was, you know, people need to stop calling out JSU because JSU, you know, Dion, they gave Dion a chance, which they did. Wasn't nobody looking at Dion, which they weren't. But at the same time, we're talking about Dion Sanders. How many times have we seen in sports where legendary players end up getting offers just based off of the leverage of their career and their, uh, of their career and who they were as an athlete alone. That's Deion Sanders. You would be crazy to not want Deion Sanders on your squad uh, as a coach, on your coaching squad. Head coach, hell yeah. Why not? But, um, you know, there's this, the brother was, was saying, man, you know, people are throwing dirt on Jackson State's name. Well, nobody's throwing dirt on Jackson State's name. Like I read, Jackson State, as all HBCUs, were in trouble before Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders came in and tried to help. Deion Sanders didn't really need the money. He didn't really need to do that. You know what I mean? How, however much money he gave, because I read another article that kind of dispelled or tried or attempted to dispel the, you know, he was given half his salary or you know, it was a it was a time it was a water crisis, and Dion helped. He helped out with the city to uh, to get his staff. He had to move, you know, his staff and his and his players so that they could uh, they could practice because they weren't getting ice, something like that. The water was affecting affected the ice, and it just affected everything. And Dion was like, "Man, we can't practice. We can't do nothing like this. This is not you know feasible and suitable." So he, they put him up in a hotel. They fed him three times a day, you know, about three meals. Excuse me, they gave him three meals. I guess that would be three times a day, huh? <laughs> but uh, you know, doing all of this, um, Dion was, was was helping, man. He was he was he was pulling his weight. He was showing concern, right? He was showing a whole bunch of concern. So yeah, but Jamil Hill was saying one last thing. She said, "I, I just wanna I wanna read the last thing she said." Um, she says, uh, "Dion." unquestionably deserves a lot of credit for what he achieved at Jackson State, but that's not a blueprint for other HBCUs that other HBCUs can follow. This is one reason his departure hurts more than it should. Fixing the problem, the problems that have plagued the HBCUs for decades was never Sanders' responsibility. That's right. Even though he once seemed to think that that's what he was called to do. If Sanders, this is that's what I want y'all to hear. If Sanders deserves blame for anything, is for helping advance the false notion that one person's achievement can somehow defeat decades of neglect. That was the the the, the that was the apex of her work at the end. She you know she 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 put it beautifully. This was a well written article, and I think that. She summed it up beautifully. If Sanders deserves blame for anything, it's for helping advance the false notion that one person's achievement can somehow defeat decades of neglect. And that goes back to that Messiah, uh, that Messiah complex that we have. You know, I don't want to get too deep, but uh, yeah, we, we have a Messiah complex and it bleeds into all areas, but it just bled into sports this time, right? The fact that we even think that Deion Sanders, I mean, I... 
I saw Deion Sanders. They were, you know, erasing his 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 face and, you know, cursing him as if he didn't do a thing, as if he did nothing for Jackson State University. I'm like, wow, man, really? Are you serious? Come on now. Regardless of what you thought or what, you know, or what you believe, you have to see how you benefited. You know, we should never as human beings forget the, the good, no matter how big or small it is. We should never forget the good that people do. Right now, that's not that's not to say that you can't move away from people or things that have done you good that don't serve you currently. But it's just to say, hey, to help your mind not keep negativity, you know, uh, you know, residing, you know, or you know, being being something that's you know all consuming. You need to try to remember the good man that'll help you out because if we remember hey Deion Sanders while whatever we think about him whatever our opinion our perspective is he came here and did a mighty thing he did a powerful thing you know he did a powerful thing you know too often times man when people get upset or people fall on bad or ill will you know everything that they ever did positive was erased you understand? And that's horrible. That's a bad habit that they, that the human has. That is a horrible habit. You know, you forget all of the great things for one or two bad things. You know, uh, it's balanced, man. It, it comes with it. But again, my point is, remember the good. Dion did so much good for Jackson State University. He did so much good. He did drop a blueprint, you know, for how we are to move, you know, and leveraging relationships, you know, uh, winning, creating a culture of excellence. You know, you when you see Dion on, on YouTube with Jackson State, you know, I love it. Play my damn theme music. Doom, doom, doom. Here I go. You know, stuff like that, man. You know, and getting on and helping them, you know, inject the spirituality with the kids. These are all things, man. These are intangibles that people remember, man, and people uh, thrive off of. And it's, it's obvious because look at the results. Look at what he was able to accomplish in 36 months and three years. You know, Dion did a mighty, a mighty powerful work. But, you know, my thing is, you know, we don't want to do for ourselves. We don't want to do, uh, we want others to do, excuse me, we want others to do what we can do for ourselves. We refuse to do for self. Like Jamel said, it's not one person. It wasn't Dion's responsibility to fix the HBCU and the condition that it's in. It's been in these conditions. It's been happening. You understand? It don't matter what he said when he came in. You know, he came in and he did his job, yo. He did his job. It's not one person's uh uh, responsibility to take black people to the promised land. At this point, we've had all the leaders that have taught us how, what to do and how to do it. We just refuse. We neglect. And yeah, there are certain powers, like I read you in the article, where there are institutional issues that absolutely occur that hold HBCUs back. And I get it. And you know, that's not their fault. But at the same time, man, if we have so much money passing through our hands as a community that we would be one of the largest nations if they were to liquidate it and you know, compared to other nations, I think I saw we'd be like the eighth largest, either the eighth or the sixteenth. One of those, one of those uh, denominations. I think it was the eighth largest uh, nation that I said that I read. If we were just to take all of our assets and how much money 
that we make, the, 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 the income that we make. If we make all that money, you need to tell me we can't invest in ourselves. We can't invest in our, our schools. You know, if you want your children to go to HBCU, I mean, what what are you doing? Are you are you uh, are you contributing? You know, have you adopted a school? Dr. Claude Anderson in Powernomics said we have to adopt schools because he breaks down how schools have turned into how black colleges have turned into many white colleges. You know, by way of who they let in, you know, by way of mentality, all these things. So, man, I, I just heard I just heard a whole lot of you know, I heard a whole lot of inconsiderate statements being made. And people, don't get me wrong, people have their right to their emotions, right? But like I said, like I've been saying, you know, you want to become informed way before you become angry. I'm going to say that again. Y'all should become informed before you become angry. Because you might, when you become angry before you become informed, you know, down the line, you might find out that that was a very unwise uh, thing that you did. And it might have cost you to, you know, think a certain type of way or say a certain thing that it might not have been true because it wasn't based in fact and logic. We have to always lead with our logic. And that, that come, you know, and that means doing a little research every now and again. So, man, listen. The big announcement that I want to make is I'm getting ready to transition from just podcasts, but to doing blog, uh, doing vlogs, right? So I'm, I have a YouTube channel. You'll be able to check me out on YouTube. You'll be able to check me out on Instagram, you know, and a few more places. But I'll be doing this live. I have my own little setup. You get to come. You get to see my newest gears, my newest fashion. You get to purchase Viva Logic gear. You know, um, you get to do all that. You get to support. And then, you know, maybe call in. Take some calls, hear some perspectives, get some definitely get some interviews going from some people who are small business owners, you know, trying to build their empires, trying to solidify their legacies. Yeah, so I want y'all to just stay tuned, man. Stay tuned. But uh, as I always say, you know, I appreciate y'all coming through, man. I appreciate y'all's ear. You know, what I want y'all to do is share this with a friend, listen to this with a friend, share it with a friend. If you uh, follow me on Lead with Lo- on Instagram, Lead with Logic. If you haven't already, follow me on Instagram, Lead with Logic. You'll see that you'll see my uh, logo come up, and uh, you can follow. You see a couple more videos, but y'all follow me and let me know what y'all thought. Send me a DM when you listen to this. Send me a DM. Let me know. Hey, I listened and I thought A, B, C, and D, and uh, and I get back with you. But um, as Mr. Malcolm used to always say. Uh, May we one day meet in the light of understanding. Peace and love, y'all.